The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is professional boxer and Commonwealth featherweight champion Nathaniel Collins. We discussed Nathaniel's early steps into amateur boxing. Travelling all over the world to compete against the very best. And his transition into professional boxing, including the dedication and sacrifice made that saw him recently crowned Commonwealth featherweight champion. This is a top guy who's gone all the way to the top. It's just a matter of time. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you'd like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly payments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash bledder. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't forget about debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you make an informed choice. Take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. Cheers. On this podcast, there's loads of firsts. I've got my first champion boxer. First of all, congratulations on, on your recent title, and you must be absolutely buzzing with that. Yeah, thanks very much. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go all the way back to the start and then we'll. I like to do things chronologically to just build up a picture and then ask the questions that, you know, that sort of bring me the information that I don't have. I mean, first of all, growing up in Bears Den, was it? Um, so I'm from Bears Den now, but actually I grew up in Hamilton. All right, okay. Yeah. How how did that, was it just a, just a family move? Just a family move. So I was born in Newcastle um, and I was born with, it was called gastroschisis. Right. So um, when I was born, all my intestines, my stomach, um, were actually outside my body. Bloody hell. Um, so I was born with no stomach. Um, so I lived in Birmingham and we went up to Newcastle because it was the only place that they had somebody that could sort me out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was born fighting, uh, <laughs> stayed in an incubator for about three months. So um, yeah, we, we stayed in Newcastle and then... Ended up moving out to Glasgow. So you quite literally fought for your life there. I, I mean, of all the research I could have done, I could probably never have picked that up. Have you ever spoken about that before? Um, it's it's not really been spoken about before. Uh-huh. Uh, it's funny because I've got a wee scar um, where my belly button is. So I've not got a belly button, it's just where I got sewed up. Right, okay. um, and I've got a wee scar and people always just think it's uh, a part of my six pack. Uh-huh. But, but it's not, it's just um, where I got sewn up. And it's funny because... I've not really spoke about it before and my mum, she was on Facebook before my fight there and mm-hmm. she always brings it up to anybody that listens. So it's funny and she, she was on Facebook and she went on her page and she was saying, like, listen, anybody that's got kids with gastroschisis and I know you're worried now, um, but this is my boy, he's just mm-hmm. going to fight for the Commonwealth tonight and this is how he's turned out, so don't ever worry about your kid being kind of scarred or... Scrap all the questions I've got, right? <laughs> because I've got so many things. I mean, 
I hope this isn't too probing or personal a question, but are there any health implications of that for you now? Or have you, is it something that's in the past? It's just in the past. I don't know if, I, I myself have never researched or looked mm-hmm. into it um, because you, it's something that's never bothered me. Do you know if it's particularly common in children being so, born? So it's funny. So my girlfriend's mum's a surgeon and we were talking about it the other night at dinner because I brought up the whole thing yeah. Um, and she was I think they researched it so I think it's only 1 in 20,000 or 1 in right, okay. 10,000 I mean, so it's not particularly common the chances of somebody listening to this who has been impacted by that either with kids in their family or their own children probably then quite slim Um, but you never know so well I mean anybody who is you know on the off chance listening who is panicking about that then Sitting, I'm sitting here talking to a, a champion boxer, so there yeah. really is hopefully nothing to worry about. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's pretty special, but, and it's. I always thought it's quite funny because I, I I've got a noticeable scar that yeah. I know about, and I've got uh-huh. a funny looking belly button. So <laughs> it's always been something commented on, and because boxing, you need to get your top off. You need to. Yeah. So everyone's always like, "What's wrong with your belly button? What's wrong with your belly button?" And I always forget about it. And I'm like, "It's not wrong with my belly button. It's just non-existent. That's uh-huh. when I get sewed up and together." It's just the way that you've you've grown up. That's funny. Yeah. Was that was that something that your your family ever kind of like a mantle they put upon you? That you were you were born fighting. Like, is has that something that has like a I don't know, like a persona or something that's carried through with you? It's funny, no, really, because. I never started boxing till quite late, so right. they never ever thought about it or picked up on it, or it was just something that was always. My mum was like, "Oh, you're special, you're special," but it was, it was nothing never to do with sport or never to do with fighting. So I'm kind of jumping ahead of you a bit here, right? Because you're <laughs> saying about your mum saying you're special, but I I think that the way parents and adults talk to the kids around them really can shape them, like unconsciously or sort of subconsciously. But see, before your fight, right? And I really am jumping ahead, so I'm sorry anybody when I've just said I'm going to go in chronology all the way through your childhood and all that. But you've just kind of made me think of this. So before you're fighting, by the way, you were fighting a 31-year-old, uh, was it Felix Williams yep, Felix from Williams. Ghana? Uh, pretty much, so he's lost just twice in 31 fights. And he's knocked out 22 opponents winning the IBO International Featherweight and Ghanaian Super Bantamweight titles along the way. What age are you? Um, 24. You're 24. Right. <laughs> so before you fought him, you said, I'm not worried about him or FaZe Bay's record. I don't think you'll have what I've got in terms of boxing ability. So you'll need to knock me out because otherwise I'll box his head off all night. <laughs> what I mean, what a statement. And that is unbelievable self-belief. Where does that self-belief come from? That, is that for your parents? That probably is a family thing. Um, all the kind of men in my family and and women, to be fair, <laughs> are pretty much <laughs> we're the best and nobody's Aye. better than us yeah. in whatever field they're in so it's it's quite funny but um, yeah I think yeah, it's definitely a family thing that's drilled into all is quite that, early that is really funny do you like do you practice because you know he's a, I suppose a great example of it of the whole self-belief thing and and cr- sort of creating or like creating the world around you is Conor McGregor you know where he mm-hmm. talks about law of attraction and yeah, absolutely. and his belief and stuff is that something that you buy into? Um, so I would say I do buy into it in, in the sense that I think if you're so absolutely focused on what you want you will always find a way to get it yeah. but in terms of like Conor McGregor and the power and mm-hmm. and I think see because of how I am and I'm quite against the grain I hate when something becomes such a trend that 
everybody's jumping on it. So yeah. when Conor McGregor spoke about the power and, and envision himself in his Lambo and in doing this and doing that, and then you've got wee Davey Faye round the corner saying, I am envisioning this and I'm envisioning that. Loads of people pick up on that and then say, I'm envisioning myself doing this, I'm envisioning myself doing that. Nobody actually puts any practice what you need to do to get to there. So I never think, oh, I'm going to think about myself in a Lambo or I'm going to think about myself in a Bentley. I just focus on this is a task. Then when that task complete, what's the next task mm-hmm. to get to where you want to be? And it's, it is like I can see myself there. I can see myself as a world champion, but I don't sit and think, right, I'm going to be sitting where I'm about. So I sit and think, right, what do I need to do today for training? What do I need to do tomorrow for training? I completely agree with you. I think there is a, there is a huge chasm of a difference between um just visualizing something but then no actually putting in the practice it's it is literally quite like looking at a map and thinking about walking somewhere but not actually going there you'll get far more you'll get far further if you actually put one foot in front of the other combined with looking thinking about right here's where am i going like where do i need to end up um i'm glad i asked that it was funny you saying that about your with your mum, um, and I just did have a feeling that that was going to be a family trait, which is, has been I passed on. The instead of it being a self belief family trait, it's more of a we're very very over competitive. So <laughs> if you aren't the best in the family, you're getting slagged, and everybody's so on top of each other Fucking trying to hell. get pool. N- pool nothing's in, oh, pool tournaments. <laughs> I was going to say pool tournaments on holiday. Your Pool's family must be a nightmare. Um, I think like my uncle Steph and and I've got a cousin cousin Scott and Ben. So. When we grew up together, I was one was six months younger, one was six months older. So us three were together all the time, and their dad's my uncle. So us five have been non-stop with my other uncles. Like I think actually they keep scores, and they've been keeping scores for about twenty years. And you're like, come on, get a grip. But um, it always gets brought up. It's a it's a good way, I suppose, to push you on. And then if that you're able to transfer that into other parts of your life, then you will go on to win boxing titles as you have done. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a shame for anybody around me that has to play me at anything. I know, fuck <laughs> me. Remind me now that you play at air hockey. There, <laughs> um, well, let's talk about your first steps into boxing. When did they come? So, um, I had a big cousin. Well, not I had a big cousin. I've got a big cousin. Phew, really? He's still there. His name's Ryan Collins. So, he fought Charlie Flynn twice. Um, so, people probably know him from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was about 13, 14... We went to see him, he boxed in the British Championships in Motherwell, I want to say. And, I mean, I I wasn't into sport per se. Mm-hmm. I like to run about and kick a football. I like to go and climb trees. I like to go and be adventurous, but I wasn't into sport. I was more into just running about, fanning about, mm-hmm. and then coming home and playing the Xbox. So when I had about 14 and when you get to that chubby age, kid, when you when as soon as you're eating you're starting to get fat I was starting to get a wee bit fat so um, once we seen him my mum and dad were like do you not fancy trying it out and like I was right into it so I, I did fancy trying it out but mm-hmm. they always thought and my papa always thought like as soon as he gets hit it's going to be like game over he's he's not going to want to keep it going so I went down to a club in Hamilton and trained for a while and yeah I loved it um, they weren't kind of progressing me the way I wanted to progress so I used to get a bus from Hamilton to View Park and I changed clubs to a View Park boxing club right stayed at them for a while and yeah my mum and dad kind of had aspirations to get out of Hamilton and kind of move themselves up so 
we we started um, moving into Glasgow, and when we moved into Glasgow, just found new boxing clubs, mm. and eventually ended up with Joham Senior and the Gobbles, and his club was called Hayfield. Um, and the year I kind of decided to go with them was I seen Joham Junior, Stuart Burt, and a guy called Steph Lavelle, and they had won the Scottish Championships seniors. Mm-hmm. So there was only three of them at the club with Joe, and all three of them had won the seniors titles. So for me, that was like, wow, they know what they're doing. There's only three of them. Mm-hmm. They're getting a lot of attention and a lot of focus on them, and every one of them's went and won the championships, which is kind of unheard of for the club, for yeah. a club to go and win every boxer, win their weight at the championships. So I was like, I want a bit of that. Um, and that's kind of how I got seriously into it. So I joined. Joe had already been to a Commonwealth Games. He went to Delhi. So when I joined, I wasn't that great. And I just used to get smashed to bits every <laughs> single night off of Joe. And, you know, eventually I got to that stage where I held my own and I was like, right, we're progressing here. So, What was the the first thing that you that you really enjoyed that got you hooked because if you're saying you went from not being a particularly sporty or athletic guy in general granted a boxing environment in, in any sort of case or any level was going to be very tough very demanding very physically and mentally demanding plus you're getting your head punched in what what was it that immediately grabbed you and you thought this is for me um I'm not too sure. Like I think I've got a bit of an addictive personality, so mm. I, I that competitive nature comes back in again. <laughs> if I'm not really good at something, I want to get good at it, and if I lose something, I'll keep coming back, keep coming back until I win it. So mm. if we were playing something, I'd play fifty times to win once. And you know, I think that was the case with boxing. Like if I was sparring and getting a doing, or if I was boxing and I couldn't pick something up, I'd be there until I did pick it up, or mm. I would be sparring you until I was getting the better of you so that kind of addictive personality I've got was probably what drove me to keep coming and keep getting better mm-hmm. and it's good with boxing because you can never not get better like you're never going to be ah you're not going to be worse after a session exactly so uh, uh, did you did you have aspirations of, of going pro or like early on or when you started sort of you know coming up up the levels so to speak or was it something that was kind of put to you um, I never had aspirations of going pro until after the Commonwealth Games, so that was always my goal. We were, when I was an amateur, it was good because I was 15 and 16 and I've seen people at the club, Joe, he went to Delhi mm-hmm. and we knew about that, but then he went to Commonwealth Games 2014 in Glasgow and that was like a massive thing. So um, Steph Lavelle, he went to the Commonwealth Games and won a bronze, so the people at my club were were going to the Commonwealth Games or they were travelling the world with Scotland mm-hmm. and for me, like, seeing that, I was, because I actually always wanted to travel as well so I think if I hadn't got to travel with boxing I may not be a boxer because mm. I always wanted to see the world but fortunately when you box for Team Scotland, I mean, I've boxed in nearly every country or been to training camps in countries and stuff so that was a big incentive for me being on Team Scotland so I never ever wanted to kind of give that up Eventually, I got into the Commonwealth Games team. We went to the Commonwealth Games 2018 in Australia. So after that, it's very difficult for a Scottish boxer to go to the Olympics. Um, Just the politics with Team GB, and Mm -hmm. it's a really, really English setup. I would say it's really, really difficult. You know, your your last one's Josh Taylor, and even then he was fortunate to win his 
Olympic qualification, mm-hmm. and the English guy never won their Olympic qualification. So he was fortunate that's how it happened. But um, you never know if the English guy won his Olympic qualification, would they even have sent him? Mm-hmm. So it's majorly biased. So at that point, it was like, there's not much left to do in the amateurs. We've been to the Commonwealth Games, we've been to Europeans, blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. it was time to go pro. How does the, the Team Scotland inclusion come about? Is it something that you get the chance to go for, or do they <clears> approach you? So it's funny, they... They used to only invite people into the team and that was when I was quite young and it was always funny my dad would because they would put out like three weeks three weeks of the month it would be a closed training session one week of the month it would be an open training session where anybody in Scotland could come and turn up and they'd analyse and mm-hmm. see if you were fit for the team and it was funny because my dad would always push me and he'd be like, let's just turn up. So I would just turn up every week to the closed sessions and everything and just mm-hmm. go in. And they were like, why are you even here? And I was like, <laughs> just here to train. <laughs> so I would just turn up every other week. And it was funny because nobody ever said to me, like, just leave. Aye. So I would just keep turning up, keep turning up. Turned up for years, never get picked for anything. Um, and then one, I just randomly get picked one time and they were just really happy we have our box so Mm -hmm. that's how I ended up getting included and it was funny I was never number one on the Scotland team so the the, the way it goes is they'll have maybe three people at each weight not a number one a number two number three of course Mm -hmm. number one gets sent to the the grade A tournaments number two gets sent to grade B number three will maybe get like a a dual match against England or the army or something so I was never included in any of that um and the turning point for that was in 2015, I was in like a serious car crash. So I stopped boxing for a year. Right. Um, I moved to France. I'd done a ski season in France and, and just partied. And I'd chucked boxing at the time. Um, I'd re- I had really, really, really bad knees for the car crash. So mm. when I came back and I went back to training and Joe was like, make sure you get yourself back to training and stuff. I never really thought I was going to do anything. I'd put on about 30 kilos. So I was I was boxing at 56 and I was about 96 or 90 kilos. So at that point I was kind of done with boxing. And then I don't know what changed me, but that whole thing changed my mindset. And I was like, right, I need to get back. Mm-hmm. So so losing all the weight was, was the first fight. And that was like so, so hard where I was like, I've lost all this weight now. I can't not do anything with it. I remember my mum saying to me, like, if you can't win the Scottish Championships, you might as well chuck it because if you can't beat people in Scotland, how are you going to beat people mm. anywhere else? Aye. And, like, that's always wrong with me. So whenever I go into a fight, I'm like, if I can't beat this guy, I can't beat the world champion. So yeah. um, that was my kind of one bit of advice from her. And it stuck with me. So the year I won the Scottish Championships, I went in and I was the only guy that was unseeded. Um, so I fought the number one seed. And my first fight bet him, fought the number three seed, then my second fight bet him, um, got to the final, won it. And the, the Scotland team, again, politics, were still trying to send this guy that I'd bet in my first fight mm-hmm. to all the tournaments. And right. So I went in and I was like, no way, get me sent. So I got sent to the kind of grade A tournament. And, and in the tournament, I bet kind of all the best boxing nations. So I bet Russia, I bet Kazakhstan, I bet... Uzbekistan or something or these are no soft nations no either. soft these nations are at all and it's like 
they were just like, what's happened here? Like, <laughs> and I was just on a mission that year to just set about anybody that they put in front of me. <laughs> so um, we kind of went on and, you know, I cemented my place on the Commonwealth Games team rather than getting Aye. given it. Uh-huh. So. See, you said that's a really interesting point because the whole time you were speaking now, you said you cemented your place as opposed to just being given it. It's quite hard. I'll, I'll consider how, carefully how I frame this question because it's hard to answer a hypothetical question. But do you feel that being on the back foot for so long or constantly having to prove your worth or prove your value, it just gave you that added impetus that perhaps if you were brought in as the number one, you might <clears throat> not have had? A hundred percent, I think. Like... If you're the number one and you know that no matter what, somebody's going to send you somewhere. So, for example, the number one at my weight was getting sent everywhere, even if he wasn't winning. So he'd go to a country, get bet in the first round, but he knew he was going to get sent to the next country because he was, air quotes, the best in Scotland. Whereas if I never had to keep chasing that, I would have never improved. Um, Uh So it was me chasing that 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 made me the kind of the guy I was. Because... I mean, my, this this sport that I'm most familiar and knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about is football, and it's something you see so often with, with younger players. And I know we are talking about boxing, but I think it is a very um, accurate or fitting comparison. So you'll have like youth players who will get to say 16 or 17, and they'll be considered the best. And so then they take their foot off the gas because they're treated number one, they're lifted and laid, and they're given all the priorities. And then what happens is, Kieran Tierney is a great example. Uh, I think in Kieran Tierney's after his um, youth spell with Celtic when it came to getting professional contracts he was only given a year because he didn't really believe in him as much he thought right okay we'll give you a year but you were close to getting let go the guys come in and grafted like an absolute demon and you look at where he is now he's in my opinion in the top few left sided defenders on the planet now you look back just only quite literally a few years ago he was being told oh, I'm not too sure about you so if you've already got that drive and then somebody doubts you or or kind of says mm, well I'm not too sure about you you just get this extra added fire so it's probably, it has benefited your personality hasn't it? Absolutely and it's like what you said there when you've already got a drive in you if somebody it's like a fire if if you've just got a small fire and somebody's pouring petrol on it saying you're not good enough or <laughs> yeah. you're no, you're only going to just explode and, and that's what, and it's the same in any sport like you're saying with football or mm-hmm. tennis or anything so you I, see it all the time. I think it's applicable in, in life, Um, this certainly, this conversation is not about me but just to kind of highlight it and something else even with, with my work, I don't believe I'm number one at all but I work and plan and in graft as if I'm at the very bottom of the pile and every day or every week try to prove a serious point here to be like I'll fucking show you like there is that and it sounds a wee bit aggressive and arrogant but that's kind of that's that's 100% and if you're not got that mindset then why are you doing anything (laughs) I would say if you some people's lives is work your 95 be happy go out at the weekend go out on nights out go out for dinner and then that's fine for some people but if you've got any ambition or any drive to do anything in any avenue, then you need to be thinking, why am I doing this if I'm not trying to be the best? Like, what purpose mm. is behind it? Because otherwise you shouldn't be doing it. You should just live your life and relax. Aye. Let, let's talk about your travels. So was was Australia the first place you went to? The or first, was that the first major trip? That does Australia it get, was does the it get bigger games. in Australia? Not really. Miles away <laughs> Not really. You need to go to Fiji. Australia was the Commonwealth Games. That was a great one. Um, 
my first ever trip was Serbia. Um, I went to a, a tournament in Serbia called the Golden Gloves, and it was it was a C grade tournament. It wasn't nothing special. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once we got to Serbia, it was like three my three hours into like remote Serbia, so it was it was like kind of crazy <laughs> like weird you're on the way thinking oh no am I bare knuckle boxer <laughs> and it was funny like it ended up a really good tournament and it was my first time getting a good relationship with all the boys in the team and yeah. and for there it just grew and like sounding braggy or cocky like I'm quite likeable so when people started to get to know me they were like oh get Nathaniel back on for trips and stuff yeah, yeah. because I'm just up for a laugh so um, and in that tournament I didn't know it then, so I, I boxed a boy, and he was from Romania. And he, after I boxed him, like people were like, "Wow!" Um, because the point scoring kind of is like thirty. What am I talking about? But point scoring is ten, ten, nine rounds, ten, nine rounds. Mm-hmm. So you went, if you win the fight easily, it's like thirty, twenty-eight, or whatever, mm-hmm. the thirty, twenty-seven, whatever the score is, um, and like I'd beat him 10-7 rounds, 10-8 rounds, gave him like standing counts and stuff. And then the following year, that boy went on to win European gold, um, world bronze, like what, smashing everybody at tournaments and stuff. And people were like, that's him you boxed in that C tournament there. And uh-huh. I, I mean, I leathered him. And people <laughs> were like, ah, woof. And it was funny. So that was my first tournament and it gave me a right good confidence booster. Uh-huh. And then after that, I mean... We just went all over the place. So we went to Serbia again. There was like Portugal training camps. There was Finland we went to. We'd done two months in Ukraine um, for a month preparation for the European Championships and then a month preparation for the Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. And then, I can't even remember, we've been all over the place. So it was, it was great. You- um, you're obviously getting to go and do what you love, but do you ever come away from a place going, oh, fuck's sake, I didn't actually get to see that, that city <laughs> or that country? Um, or do you nah, get the opportunity really. to you, go you do. Like Once you've done your training session, you kind of can just go and uh-huh. float about and nobody says anything. So we were, you get an allowance per day, like 20 quid or something. So if you were away for a week, you'd get £100 or £150. And, like, I never really worked. I put myself in a lot of debt to, mm-hmm. to just box. Um and like so I, when I got my allowance for going away I was like oh yes actually a bit of money for a change uh-huh. like <laughs> I'm no skin so I, I, we were just floating about and doing what we kind of wanted to do that was something I wanted to speak about because obviously even in, especially in the last year and a half like we don't even say the C word in this podcast anymore because <laughs> I can't be arsed with it but you know life was ground to a halt and and there's a point where it's like shit you've, you've got a bit of a fork in the road you said previously your sponsors helped you out but it's still a massive sacrifice, wasn't it? Like to to kind of be chasing the dream and then having to then forego money constantly coming in. How yeah. how difficult is that to navigate? It's hard because as an amateur, it's kind of the norm that you would work and box. Um, unless obviously you're on Team GB, they get kind of lottery funding. A very, very, very select few of the Scottish boxers get something called SAPA, mm-hmm. which is like six grand a year. So it's not as if it's like major yeah. money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I was at uni, dropped out, was at college, dropped out, worked multiple jobs, dropped out because the stress or the, the pressure that you're getting for your day-to-day work life or 
day-to-day studying and then you need to go and bash the training in the morning, bash the training in the night and you're burst and then after a month that just takes its toll on you and you're like, so I, I kind of ended up just patching it. Mm-hmm. Used my overdraft, used my credit cards or whatever and funded my life that way until I was like, can I do this anymore? We'd go back to work, pay mm-hmm. off that. We'd quit work, use that again yeah. and it was just kind of that. It's like if you're given, even if you're given 80% of, because you cannot give 100% to both. So if you're given 80% of your effort to to boxing, training, and, and you know, giving it as much as you can, and 20% to your work, it's still going to have a detrimental impact on, on your training. You seem to me as if also you're somebody who day to day just wants to be doing genuinely what they love, which I respect because I feel the same. And you must just get to that point and go, well, fuck this. Like, I'm either, I'm either going all in. And you'll find out one way or another, won't you? You'll be like, well, if I if I give it everything and it doesn't happen, then then I knew it was that kind of your, your... Yeah, absolutely. And it was like, you need to be giving it everything and especially once you start getting to the top because the the percentages get smaller. Yeah. If you're going 80-20 in Scotland, you can probably get away with it. Mm-hmm. When you start going 80-20 and you're fighting at the European Championships, there's guys that are going 100%, so they small margins make mm-hmm. all the difference. And then once you start kind of fully committing to it and you think you're giving it 100% you're probably still not even giving it 100% so they wee 1%, 2% like not getting up in the morning or not getting up till a wee bit later or not pushing yourself as hard like they small percentages mm-hmm. matter all the difference and that's that's kind of what counts. How disciplined do you need to be then? Like, let's let's talk through your, your sort of daily routine because people might think oh you get up hit a punch bag go for a wee run have some, like, I don't know, fucking stick on Eye of the Tiger and drink some raw eggs. <laughs> but it's not really like that, is it? Nah, like, what is, what is your sort of routine in general? It's funny, I, I just don't think that people understand really how hard that is. They think you wake up, you do a bit of training, at the end of your training camp, you fight, and that's all they see is a wee bit of training and then the fighting and the good stuff. Because mm-hmm. when you're posting on Instagram or Twitter and stuff, you're like, wow, look at me, I'm training so hard, I'm so fit. Yeah. Really, you're dying inside and you're like... I hate my life <laughs> aye, aye. and you hate your life and I mean this camp here was the hardest for me because we obviously had a lockdown we were training all the way through lockdown but I was just doing loads of different stuff so I'd ended up putting on quite a bit of muscle so stripping all my weight down this time was a lot harder than before mm-hmm. um, so my calorie intake was way low and then I was going out and training um, and then I mean I had a total lifestyle change this time around where I was getting up at half four in the morning to run. Um, I'd get up. I'm really, really bad as a morning person, so... Me too, so I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> and when I did finish working, I was like, why am I going to get up at half four? I can get up at 10 or 12 and <laughs> run anyway. Yeah. So Aye. I had a total mindset change. And like my girlfriend would wake me up at half four. She'd get her bike and stuff. Um, I'd get up and she like... She'd come alongside you? No, hats off to her. She would make me get up. Fair play. That's <laughs> um, some serious support there. Well, she she's up here, loves Connor Ben and Victoria Ben, so she watches all their Insta stories and she's like, Connor Ben's up at half four, you better get up. <laughs> she's shouting at me and I'm like, ah, get, shut up, turn the light off and that. So, um, but she would come out fair play to her and she'd get on her bike um, and cycle with me. I'd run at half four. We'd get back, I'd go back to sleep um, and then I'd get up, go to the gym I'd maybe do a wee bit of the gym or a wee bit um a swimming or something. Mm-hmm. Go back at night and I'd train with, with Joe and we'd get our sparring and stuff and 
it's hard because you've got that for 10 weeks Aye, plus mean, your energy is way low but then what people don't understand is when they're wanting tickets and stuff from you and then they're making it hard for you to give them tickets like they're like oh we'll pay you f- tickets and then you're meant to drop them all over the place and they're like oh can I make it today can I make it so mm-hmm. it's really 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 draining so at the last week I'm just shut off like people are asking me can I do an interview can I do this can I do that I'm like ah, no yeah there are secondary just background noise in it at Definitely, that point yeah. it's like interesting you're saying people will see the pic- a picture of you holding your belt but they don't see everything that goes and right. that goes into it and, and it's I mean if I'm like if I'm say at some point where I'm kind of cutting it, like just if you go to the gym in general say I'm on I don't know like 1900 calories which is enough but I'm like oh fuck's sake like, hey. can't be, it's t- like I know how tough it is just try to do that simply that's something I do for fun and pure fun. enjoyment but when you're kind of like your life is on the line as well Aye, does absolutely. that give you like an additional pressure Um because that is that's your future I just always think like how bad would it be losing how bad would it mm. be losing how mortified would you be I would never show my face again if I lost <laughs> if I get knocked out I'd probably just never you'd never see me I'd move uh-huh. country <laughs> I, I understand that. Is it so? Is it also there is the the joy and feeling of of achievement and success? But is it the fear of failure that drives you? Yeah, absolutely. I would. I hate losing. I hate. It. I hate people looking at me and thinking, "Look at him. He's lost." Mm. It's embarrassing. I'm, I feel embarrassed when I think about having a loss. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's quite quite unique, or, or gives you like an edge because. I think even in life in general, the person you should fear most is the one who fears they've got everything to lose. Well, I don't know, some people say ones have got nothing to lose, but I disagree with that because then if somebody's got nothing to lose, it's kind of inconsequential yeah. in, in this sense. But if somebody feels they've got everything's on the line or their, their, their entire identity and self-worth and what the fuck be stepping in a ring with them, to be honest? I'd be like, mm, I don't know, man, I think I'll just give that a miss. Um, how how supportive are your family? Because your mum, I was saying, like if you can't beat this, like the best in Scotland, then then you may as well chuck it. Okay. How it seems to me as if they would be very supportive behind you as well. Is that is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. Like my dad's like a super fan. He's always mm. for years drove me everywhere I need to go, gave me any boxing equipment I need, like and anything that he can do to make me better or make my life a bit easier mm-hmm. he'll do it um my mum for years hated it she was like you're gonna because i don't know when it was but whatever had happened i might have like slurred my words or something or i might have had a whatever and she's like you're gonna end up punchy you're gonna end up slurring your words yeah. and no being talking to walls and stuff and she was like i want you to chuck it i want you she was always pushing me towards education and mm-hmm. like i got good results I, I did go to uni and stuff like i even though i dropped out she was always like come back go back you can always go back and she was pushing me in that direction but I think she got to a stage where she just accepted this is my life and, and there's nothing doing. else for me and that's what I'm I'm doing and now she's like full support she always tries to get involved in tickets and mm-hmm. sponsorship stuff and managing it so she kind of tries to do the admin side and stuff and, and she loves it and I'm sure it's it's 99.9% just love and support and wanting to back you and zero point zero one percent with them going it's a decent wee nest egg retirement fund for us we'll we'll, we'll contribute here Uh, but you I mean it seems to be something that's reciprocated you've previously said when speaking about why you're boxing and and what you're 
you know, further aims are a sort of secondary and, and third ends would be, you said, I want to be able to help my family and to get to a point where I can afford to live comfortably. You get some boxers who insist it's not about the money, but why would you do it otherwise? Everyone wants to be a world champion, but you do it for the benefits that come with that. Creating a legacy is nice, but there have to be rewards along the way. First of all, I think that's really honest because a lot of people will say, no, no, I do it for the love. And it's like, no, you don't because you can't feed yourself on just enjoyment. <laughs> Does that also give you that that push to think, we, you must look at other people and we'll come on to these two, but um, Josh Taylor and, and Lee McGregor and yep. we'll talk about the significance of them and how you're following their footsteps. But do you look at the lifestyles that they live and think, I also want that because if you're putting in that blood, sweat and tears, it's nice to get the rewards on it. Absolutely. Like I, I know Lee well more better than I know Josh um, like see before just sorry to interrupt you but no. I was at a, a John Hartson charity lunch and some guy came up to me and he's like can I get a picture of you and I was like eh, what why this is like I'm not saying I'm fucking well known now right? <laughs> but at this point I'm, I'm more well known now than I was then I was like eh, alright but I was kind of felt really uncomfortable and he did the whole boxing fist and then I was like what the fuck is going on here man <laughs> later on <laughs> later on he was talking to me at the bar and I was going he was just saying loads of stuff and I was like mate I have got no idea what you're talking about like and you're pure confusing me I was like go just leave us and then he went are you know Lee McGregor and I was like who the fuck's Lee McGregor <laughs> but then I googled him and I was like alright okay there's a slight similarity there and I was like but I was like you've maybe had a few too that many so beers funny. so I yeah, get mistaken from him I probably should have just do you know for a while I did actually for a while I was like because he thought I was this boxer and then I was like Aye, aye, but then it was like, right, it's, aye, it's just gone too, too far, far man. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about knocking people out. No, I've never been a fucking boxing ring in my life. Uh, but sorry, you were saying about Lee and uh, knowing Lee and Josh. Oh, fuck. Uh, aye, aye. So I don't, I, I don't know Josh as well as, you know, Joe and stuff went to the Commonwealth Games with Josh and are still quite close and they, they mm-hmm. talk all the time. So I hear firsthand how much money he's getting, how much purses he's getting, like what's, what's happening uh, with him. And like, if there's any, an incentive it's that you know so and again I shared rooms with Lee on multiple Scotland trips so mm-hmm. me and Lee are quite close so when I find out kind of the money Lee gets for fights or the money Lee gets for signing on and Aye. initially he was with the McGuigans and he was fighting on Channel 5 and he was he was getting decent wages so me seeing that firsthand, I'm like I need to get to that stage where I can get that kind of money so do you feel that's in reach? absolutely now like what what you said earlier on, you said something about it. Does that drive you to keep winning? And I'm on a contract that I've got set wages for four fights. So mm-hmm. there's a clause in that contract that says if you lose, these wages are no longer available to you. So sounds like bullshit. To me. <laughs> it's just the kind of way boxing works, I guess. But it's it's difficult because. You can see where they're coming from. Why would you pay somebody that can't win mm. um, that kind of money? Or, you know, but I suppose the boxing city is the only sport in the world where you're in there, you're the show, the show doesn't happen without you, yet you're getting the least reward uh, out of everybody that's involved in the show. And it's always been that way, and it's it's shite. How do you feel about celebrity? won't name any. <laughs> How do you feel about celebrity promoters? You kind of people can guess who I'm referring to. I mean, do you feel that they come in and take rewards that they don't deserve? Or? Not particularly. Like, even if you look at your, the, the Jake Paul and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I don't have any 
bad. You see a lot of boxers posting, oh, I saw the shite, I saw this, I saw that. Like, I look at Jake Paul and Logan Paul and I think, they turn in fantastic shape. They're clearly grafting. They've mm-hmm. got a good team. Like, they've got enough money to get a good team around them. So, mm-hmm. but why should they not be doing it? You, you see plenty of journeymen in the UK. You see heavyweights in the UK or even in Scotland that are fat messes and have clearly not trained to fight. And yet, they're not getting the same shit that these guys are getting. Like, they're training hard as well. Just... Mm. Is, if anybody gets in the ring, that is what it is. You know, yeah, I don't I su- take away from it. I suppose if you've um, if you've managed to to get yourself there or and to be, I don't know. It's like people say for um, and it's competing in the Ironman. Even if they don't finish it, the fact that you've made it to the to be able to get to that starting point is exactly. in itself, you know, a bit of an achievement. Um, we'll talk about your fight, the, the your your recent um, Commonwealth featherweight title fight. Um, so that was just the other that was very recent like the other yep. day wasn't it last Saturday last Saturday it was at New Douglas Park yeah I thought this was really cool Ricky Hatton was talking about you did you know that no prior to the fight so here's what he said about you Ricky Hatton said um, that you could be one of the next Scottish stars hoping to follow in the footsteps of Josh Taylor as you have done um, this was obviously prior to winning undefeated in seven but comes up against a very experienced opponent in Williams who's won 29 of his 31 fights I don't think that can be downplayed I'm no boxing expert but if you say to me right there's this big monster and he's had 31 fights he's won fucking 29 and 22 of them are knockouts and then you go and as you said you predicted it box his head off I mean how does it feel for, for somebody like Ricky Hatton to be speaking about you like that amazing and it's um like I love a body shot. Uh, that's my favourite. I love working at the body and it's all through. When I was growing up, my dad was like, Ricky Hatton, Ricky Hatton, Ricky Hatton. <laughs> so we always watched Ricky Hatton, loved Ricky Hatton. Um, now your and, name is in his mouth. I know, it's amazing. Like I never even knew that that, that existed. So <laughs> um, it's great to hear stuff like that. And it's that's kind of why you do it. Like You want to be recognised in the boxing world. You see, even on Twitter, like your other boxers talking about... The other boxers who are fighting and mm-hmm. if you're not really known and you're a small hole fighter then other boxers don't talk about you but yeah. when you hold something like the commonwealth and the british then people start saying like we want to see him and him fighting and we want to. so it's good to like eventually i'll get to that stage where mm-hmm. you're a household name so well he, he's talking about you following in taylor's footsteps and lee mcgregor both previous title holders do you does that make it easier for you to envisage yourself sort of going where they've gone obviously you're you're going to forge your own path as well but you know if it's a if it's a progression in the way people would expect the chances are you're kind of going to cover a wee bit of their ground as well I absolutely like like I say as a box wheelie a lot for the amateurs Mm -hmm. Um, we went to all the same tournaments so there's nothing that Lee's achieved in the amateurs way more than me like we sparred together, we fought loads of people. Me and Lee fought in the amateurs, actually. Uh, so it's like, we, we are familiar. I'm on that kind of level. So mm-hmm. there's absolutely no reason why I can't follow the footsteps. And, you know, I'm following the footsteps because mm-hmm. he got the Commonwealth quite early on as well. Josh got the Commonwealth quite early on as well. That's me just getting it. Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm only going to progress and get better. Uh, it's like ticking boxes, in a sense. Absolutely. Um. You obviously you had a very intense fight camp. You had a really challenging and taxing fight. So you did what anybody would do. You take some time off and you climb Ben Nevis, <laughs> as you do. I mean, is that just another indicator as to where your head is at? Head is at? Cause a lot of other people, Ricky Hatton used to go away and end up fucking shocking Nick. Yeah. I'm... And then come back. Tyson Fury is also similar. Are you just constantly thinking, 
no, like we're, we're doing positive things, building blocks. Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't particularly drink. Um, I, I may have a drink on the odd occasion. I never mm-hmm. drank till I was 19, so um, I don't particularly drink at all. Um, my kind of releases food, so but the type of people, um, my girlfriend does, my family are like, we like camping, mm-hmm. kayaking, you know, paddleboard and stuff like that. Like, we do positive stuff anyway, like adventurous stuff mm-hmm. as our pastime. Our pastime's not go to the pub or our pastime's not go and, you know, get up to non- nonsense. So it's like, there's always anything we can do that's positive. So I was, I was pleased when I heard, uh, when you, was it straight after the fight you went to McDonald's and then it was a diet of fish and chips kind of for the majority of yeah, the week, the was week, it? So You've earned that. It's good. It's funny. It's like, it's a, it's probably the first time I, after a fight I've not went, out and, and celebrated with people and I was mm-hmm. like that's me getting beyond that stage now I'm growing up a bit where normally everyone goes to the pub or the club or whatever and mm-hmm. this time was no different like everybody went out um, and then everyone's having house parties and you're getting called all night like come come here come here come here and I was like listen I'm just going to get food and then I'm going to go home I'll relax I'm away camping so um, I went out on the Sunday like enjoyed the day out with, with my friends who came to see me and, mm-hmm. and, and had wee celebrations like we, we went for lunch and stuff and um, I might have had two ciders and that was it and I was right. back in the house for half half eleven like half ten so I was like it's just not something that just, just doesn't just, just like, thought process I, I don't ever think oh if you're choking for a drink or anything I want to go to the pubs so mm-hmm. um, that's what you're, like you're saying I just love fish and chips <laughs> <laughs> me too mate me too now that you know the, the kind of dust is settling, um, you, you mean you, you're very entitled to just sort of soak up the adulation and the, and enjoy what you've achieved. But I've got a feeling you have both eyes on your sort of next steps. Like, yeah, are you able to kind of reveal what you're going to go after? Is that something that will come in time? Um, so I think the plan just now is just defend the title mm-hmm. at least once or twice because, I mean, if you look at it, I've only ever been scheduled for a six rounder or a ten rounder I've only ever went six rounds so mm-hmm. um, we we still want to get that experience of, of doing a full twelve rounder like sure, I'm not going to complain I'm not going to complain like I like stopping people and knocking them out or yeah. whatever and <laughs> it, it's an easy night's work and you know what I mean why go through a twelve round war when you don't need to and, but um, it's an experience thing the, the guys at my level or the level above me have been through multiple twelve round wars or mm-hmm. you know and that's where your experience comes in that they're able to have that over you so I'd quite like to get a 12 rounder and um, I was at my friend's fight on Saturday um, Reagan so he was fighting on my manager's show so my manager had a wee chat with me so we've we've got a date already right okay um, very soon so I think in the next few months I'm going to be back out again defending um and it's not too long away, but I need to wait on it being confirmed. Smashing. <laughs> well, Nathaniel Collins, the nightmare, uh, as you call yourself, your career. Rewards have been about a dream so far. I hope it continues that way for you. Thank yeah. you very much, mate, for coming in. Thanks for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure people have enjoyed this as well. Actually, that's what I should do. Um, social media, where can people get you? Because they want to follow your, your um, career. Um, so I'm on Instagram as Nathaniel Collins and... I don't even know what my Twitter is. I'll Nate Collins 60, I think it I, is. I'll um, do the usual. You get links and episode notes, blah, blah, blah. People will see you tagged. Uh, but no, thanks very much for coming in. And thank you for.
for listening uh, and we'll be back with another episode of Leathered soon cheers Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and old school, all on the big light, Scotland's podcast network. From the big light studio.